So we have been talking about this idea of epiphany and how God is revealed, how we experience life and uh, the sacred being revealed in our world. And uh, one of the things that we've been suggesting or that I've been talking about is this idea that it is always present. It is more a matter of us not seeing it. And so really what I think is going on here is there's so many things going on here in this text that I think are fun to think about. But one thing in, in particular is this, uh, at the beginning, this idea that, that um, Jesus is doing something different than has been done before. And in a sense, Jesus is, but there's another sense in which Jesus is actually just reminding his listeners of what has always been a part of their tradition, their faith, which was the ancient covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. So that when God made a covenant with Abraham, way back at the beginning of the Judaic monotheistic faith, as the story goes, Abraham said, you'll be my God. And God said, fine, then if, you'll be, if I'll be your God, then this is the covenant. I will bless you and all of your people, all of your nations, all of your tribes, all of your, all of your uh, uh, essentially kinfolk, all of those related to you. But that's not where it stops. He says, so that you might be a blessing to the world. So, so this was the ancient covenant, blessed to be a blessing. And the blessing part was to everybody, blessed to be a blessing so that you can be a blessing to everyone. Now, what happened, of course, is they found themselves in Babylonian exile. They found themselves in a couple of different exiles over the generations. And when that would happen increasingly, what would, what would be the interpretation? We did something wrong. And as a consequence... Certain factions within the religious uh, circles began to sort of have more control over just what they were going to do in order to appease God. One of that being this, uh, th this idea of, of a holiness code, which became much stricter about living the right way, excluding the wrong people so that you don't defile the right way, and making sure we keep our, you know, we stay to our P's and Q's, keep our, 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 our T's and I's dotted and everything straight and narrow. And the Pharisees sort of became the, the, uh, the, the, the keepers of that holiness code. So when you read the stories about Jesus and you see him always going up against the Pharisees, it's because they have this history of, look, we've done God wrong, and so now we've got to do things right, and we know how to do things right. You have to stick to the letter of the law and, and, um, and the, legal, the legal points of the law and not defer from it at all. Don't defile it. Don't get it all messed up. It needs to be very narrow, very specific. You can look around our country today, you can look around the world today, and see that when things get messy, people get scared, right? And when people get scared, what do we do? And I'll say we because we do it too, but we see it in large, we see it in sort of trends, you know. I loved how Dan said, you know, compared us to animals and that animals are smarter, but there are some things that we do that are still very animalistic, which is we start going, we start gravitating towards tribes, like-minded people, because we're scared, and then we start looking for clarity. The very idea of saying, you know what, let's all celebrate uncertainty. Let's go have a party with mystery. Let's go get confused. Right? Y'all are used to me saying that. <laughs> it doesn't scare you as much. Sometimes when I would say something like that, I could see a visitor in the back getting up and they're slowly sneaking out the door. I'm like, all right, I should have warned you ahead of time. <laughs> But it, it, it is scary. The unfamiliar gets scary, and we gravitate towards what's familiar because that's our, that's our biology. When Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishes of men, you can be guaranteed he's not saying, I'm going to go out and we're going to catch people to make sure they're following the straight and narrow. 
It's just not what he was doing. He was hanging with all the wrong people. He was healing all the wrong people. He was inviting all the wrong people into the circle. And he was completely reminding everybody that that's what they were there for to begin with. That's what we're here for. So the challenge for us, I think, in this time that we're in, because we are back in a time where, if you listen to the news, the rest of the world is continually moving more and more towards authoritarianism, towards, towards um, a sort of a, a, an imperialism kind of control, uh, understanding of things to kind of get more control, more conservative, more, more right-wing. And I'm not, I, while it sounds like I'm talking politics, I'm really not intending to talk politics because us left-wingers, those of us in here left-wing, we can get it all wrong too, right? We can get just as narrow-minded about what's right and wrong, and we miss the point. It's just like the crow and the squirrel. The world is bigger than that acorn and how we define ourselves. The world is much bigger than how we define ourselves. Here's some fun stuff. Let's, let's see just, just an example of how easily we define ourselves and get trapped in our own self-definitions. Uh, can you pull up some of those uh, um, I- images that we see faces in? Oh, yeah. You see the happy people there? You got another one for us? Oh, I like that one. How many of you talk to your bathtub? Or I guess that's your sink. Oh, that's my favorite. Yeah. We got any others? That's it? Okay, yeah. Um, Daniel Kahneman, who was the uh, author of Thinking Fast and Slow, he says, you know, one of the things that we don't recognize sometimes is just how much of patterned creatures we are. We are pattern-seeking, so we automatically just gravitate to patterns. So that when we hear stories that are familiar, we gravitate to those. When we hear stories that are unfamiliar, it's a challenge for us. When we see people who are familiar to us or like us, we gravitate to that. When we see people who are unlike us, we move aside, we move a different direction, we just don't engage. The challenge for us, that when Jesus was saying, I'm going to make you fish for people, again, he wasn't saying, I'm going to, we're going to go out and see how many we can get into this fold. We're going to go out and see how many, how many folks we can increase the number of what we've got here. We're going to, we're going to do a numbers game and, and try to increase our fold and increase our population, increase uh, our faith. I mean, we do that. We see that now. And it's easy to see why we do that in, the, in, in religion. Is because we're pattern-seeking creatures and we go for what's familiar. So we want more of that. So we want more people like that. But the world is changed by people who see a bigger picture. Who see, in fact, we're a part of something much larger. So that where even differences, even oddities, even strangeness fits. That it all fits. And that's, I think, the biggest challenge we find ourselves in today even. As we see where we are in our world. So, I, I, I had this experience, um, I, I shared a fishing story, I tell you what, let's, let's see, bring up the image of the fisher, the, the kids, just the blank one without the quote. So I told the story in, in my blog, I wrote the story about me and my uncle going out fishing and, and you know, what we caught that day wasn't the fish, what we caught was the sight of fish, what we caught was the experience of being present. If you just looked at this picture, I can tell you immediately what 90% of you see. You see a father and a son, Right? That's where you focus. You don't really see the calm. You don't see how everything seems still. You don't experience, maybe not initially, what that's like to sit in a place of such peace and calm and begin noticing the smallest things like a mosquito or, or jumping off in the distance. 
or how long it takes to be still in order to see things. We don't, we don't picture a lot of that. We just simply see the relationship. And, and one of the things that, go to the next quote here. One of the things that Meister Eckhart said, that one of my favorite Christian mystics, he said that relationship is the essence of everything that is. Martin Buber, the theologian, the Jewish theologian who said, the place where we experience the sacred, the really where we experience divine in our midst is in between, in that space between us. But in order to experience it, we have to open that space between us, which is what we don't typically do because we typically kind of move away from things that are unfamiliar. And if we're moving towards familiarity and pattern seeking and, and things that make us feel comfortable, again, we're missing the point. We really haven't fished in the stillness of God's presence in, in our world. We haven't really fished in the ground of our being because we're still self-focused at that point. If you notice the bulletin, I use that Calvin and Hobbes not because I think it helps to illustrate the point of our, of our message today, but because I find myself there oftentimes. Where Calvin Hobbes is looking up at the stars and screaming, I'm significant! And then pauses as he looks around and says, said the little speck. I mean, we feel that way sometimes. We feel this need to be seen as significant, or this need to sort of have our... And we don't actually think of it so concretely. Sometimes it's really subtle. Like, why did that car pull in front of me like that? Why is that person doing that over there? Why is that person smoking at this point? I mean, right there. That, I mean, we think of all the different ways people don't fit. And we judge the moment because we come from a place of being sort of the center of our universe. When Jesus says, I'm teaching you how to fish, he's literally not talking about the people you're trying to hook. He's talking about recognizing you're a part of the, the ocean. He's talking about going out into the waters, looking for things, and realizing all of a sudden that, no, you're all in the same waters. And once you start recognizing that we're all in the same water, we're grounded in love, grounded in possibilities in God's creative presence, however you define that, once we find that we're actually a part of all of that, and so is everyone else, we begin to catch one another because we realize we're all part of the same net. We're all part of the same interwoven fabric of life. I had this wonderful experience uh, some years back of going fishing on another fishing trip with my son. It was uh, my youngest son, Matthew. And we were going south of, uh, of Port Aransas out into the bay to do some fishing. We'd, we'd been there. My sister has a place in Rockport. And we'd been there fishing on the pier and catching nothing but these things called hard, hard-headed uh, bass. Hard-headed bass, I think that's what they're called. I mean, some of y'all know it. I'm not I mean catfish, hard-headed catfish. They, they have a real spiky fin. You can't eat them. You can't really take them off the hook. If you catch one, they're just, it's, easy to get, it's easy to get pierced or scratched really bad, and then it stings. So if you get one, you just cut the string. We lost like, I don't know, five, six hooks one evening because that's all we were catching, these hardheads. And so we finally gave up. It was kind of frustrating. Matthew at least had fun because he was catching things, but then we just have to cut it off. So the next day promised to be fun because it was going to be a big excursion on one of those big boats it was kind of a double-decker boat with about 30 people. We're going to go out into the bay, catch flounder, catch, uh, uh, catch trout, have a great time, redfish, have lots of... Get, the, the guy guaranteed... The captain, I'd have to say, looked a little bit like Quinn from Jaws. Some of y'all remember him? You know, 1,100 people went in, only 300 came out alive. Talking about the U.S. Indianapolis when it sank. That was the scariest part of the whole movie, that story. This guy kind of reminded me a little about him, you know. It wasn't like he had a patch over his eye or anything, but he would just kind of look at you and go, you ready to catch fish? 
and he had that sort of pirate sort of, uh, you know, English accent. Like, and, my, and my son, who was, I think, I think Matthew was about 11 at the time, was really, th- he really was uh, excited about it and was fun, thought the whole thing was kind of like, it looked a little bit like it was going to be a Disney experience, except that it was more, uh, more rustic than that. And then what made it a little real was that the guy would every now and then reach over into an ice chest and he would pull out a little moon jellyfish, a little round, clear jellyfish, and swallow it whole. And Matthew would look up and go like, wow. And all the kids would be there. And then the guy at one point did launch into a little bit of Quinn's speech on Jaws. And when he started to talk about the sharks coming towards the outer edge of the 1,100 people in the world, we were all going like, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. And... And then we got out there and we started fishing. Now, there were, like I said, 30 people, 15 on either side. They were in families with kids. There were couples. There were singles. About 30, 40 minutes into it, everybody was catching stuff, except for the McDermott's. <laughs> Matthew, myself, my, my, my Linda, none of us were catching fish. Tim wasn't with us at that trip. I see Tim in the back. You weren't there at that trip on that one. But um, so I, I'll be happy to tell stories about you, though, if you'd like. I could do that. <laughs> But, any, uh, but he was, none of us were catching anything, and it was getting kind of frustrating because we hadn't had a good fishing experience. Everybody else was catching stuff. Everybody was catching stuff. It got to where the guy would come over to us, and he'd say, they're catching over there, and he would grab us, the pole, and he would run over there where we were just catching stuff, and we wouldn't catch a thing. And then, he, then somebody else would be catching over here. He would run us over there and to that side, and we wouldn't catch a thing. All morning long until we'd been out there for like three hours, we didn't catch anything. And Matthew was getting a little discouraged, and, and the two of us were kind of, Linda and I were laughing about it. But at the last minute, as we were kind of making our way back in, he said, we're going to have to pull our poles in. And he was like, has anybody got anything? The next thing, he put it over the speaker. If anybody's got something on the line, would you, would you pass it over to, to young McDermott, Matthew McDermott? Just pass it over to him, let us know, and he'll reel it in if you want to do that. And everybody was like, yeah, I got three or four cat, I got three or four flounder, I got two redfish. Everybody was getting a you know, several fish, and so they finally handed it over to Matthew. He had something on the line, and we were so excited, and he reeled it in, and of course, it was a hard head. <laughs> and the guy had to cut the wire, and, um, and afterwards, you know, we were all kind of laughing. It was like, whatever, you know, who, who, go figure. But as we were leaving, even the guy was like saying, I hope you all had a, had a great time. And, and everyone, let's give a big hand for the good sports for the McDermott's who didn't catch a single thing. And so they all laughed, and they all applauded, and we got off the, off the boat. And what was fun was I thought maybe Matthew would look back at this and go, like, this was a stupid experience. But maybe it was something about being a kid in sort of the grandeur of the whole thing and being immersed in the connections with everyone else that normally you'd be off on your own doing your own fishing, but now it became a group effort to try to help the McDermott's catch something. Maybe that's what it was. I tried to put my head, you know, my, my mind around it. But as we left, he had the biggest smile. It was the absolute best experience that he'd ever had. And later on, as he got older, we would sometimes remember that experience. And Matthew would always laugh and say, I didn't catch a fish, but man, I got a great story. There's a way in which, I think Daniel Kahneman was the one who may have brought this up, but there's a way in which we can look at things in terms of how we frame them. We talk about reframing in here all the time. There's asset framing and deficit framing. And a lot of times we look at life from these zero-sum kinds of perspectives like limits. Things didn't go the way we want them. There's only one acorn. I've only got these, these, this pair, I've only got this way of relating to life, this pair of shoes. I, I, there's only one way to see things. And then there's another way of seeing it in terms of asset. 
Instead of seeing things from a deficit perspective, see things from an asset perspective. Or the way in which, uh, I think it was Holden Caulfield in Catcher in the Rye who said once, the character in there, what, what, um, who said, um, um, I believe that, I, I'm going to misquote it, but he said, I'm kind of a paradoxical, I kind of see things opposite the way a lot of people say, think. He says, I think everyone out there is conspiring for my good. How often do we wake up in the morning and we go out into the day with the mindset, oh yeah, I am, I am swimming in, in the love and the creative possibilities and the redemptive possibilities of God's presence in the world. I'm swimming in it. It's always present. Yeah, things are hard. Yeah, this happened. I can't see it right now and it's painful. But if I take a moment and I just relax, if I take a moment and I try to reassess what's going on and to be just present, even if it's painful, I begin to, to remember. I begin to find again. Oh, yeah, it's much bigger than that. It's much more potential than that. So I'll end with one last little story. Um, this past weekend, we got to participate in a wedding, which was a wonderful experience. Uh, Lynn Deloney's, some of you all know Lynn very well, and his, his daughter Anna and Abby got married up in uh, Oklahoma, south of Oklahoma City, little bitty town at a theater. And it's, all, it's on Facebook, so I'm, I'm not too worried about telling you the story now because <laughs> it's out there. Um, what I will say was how beautiful this experience was. Um, a lot of the community, the LGBTQ community from uh, Oklahoma City, but I think also from outside the state, uh, there was probably 100 or so people there. And at one point, um, I heard someone behind me because, for one thing, there was a lot of pink. For another thing, there were a lot of platform shoes. For another thing, there were a lot of rainbow-colored hair. For another thing, there, it was just a really beautiful sort of explosion of diversity. And one person behind me said, this feels, I, I can't remember exactly, but they said, I said to their, their spouse, I just overheard it, it was like, this feels like a circus. And I kind of smiled, and, and I didn't say anything back to them because I wasn't sure exactly where they were coming from, but Linda and I kind of laughed. At first, it was such a diversity of people that it was a little overwhelming. It was a little strange to see that much concentrated, sort of outside the margin or marginalized people celebrating together in one small space like that. It was a little overwhelming. It was very different. But it only took a few minutes to realize who was the different one. <laughs> and that changed everything. Because now I realized, oh, wait, I'm the one wearing a sweater and slacks, you know, with nice shoes. And, and so, you know, it was just so much fun to recognize fitting into someone else's reality and realizing it's so much bigger. And what, was, what even made it more interesting was that later on that evening when the security person, who's local from there, when he was out in the back, I couldn't help but hear and overhear the conversation he was having with one of the other folks there. This was very new to him. And as they were talking, you could just see him soften, right? I mean, it took some courage on his part to let go and be more present to what was happening, but as he did, you could see him soften. And you, you knew that already his world was being opened up a little bit more. He was beginning to see that it's not about seeing everything as a deficit, but maybe starting to see things as assets. But here's the thing I think of what faith teaches us, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus' teachings, for example. 
is that the next morning when we were still talking and celebrating and having a great time visiting with some of the other family members, they started talking about some of their family that they wished would have come, but of course they didn't because they still were more like those kind of Pharisees. They still sort of saw that life was supposed to be defined in a very narrow set of rights and wrongs. And because when we're anxious, it's just our brain, it's just our biology. I was laughing with somebody and telling them this. When we see something that different that scares us, we might as well be looking at a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's the exact same fear. It just kicks in us, and we don't know how to respond but to be afraid. What does that mean when we go fishing for people? What then becomes our job? Our job is not to tell people they're right or wrong. Our job is to invite people into the beauty. Our job is to simply remind people we're all part of this great possibility of redemptive love that we don't all see there's times we have to defend there's times we have to take a hard stand that's not the most that's not most of the time though most of the time we're just fishing to be present in the water to be present in the redemptive love of God or the redemptive ground of our being so that others can see it as well and as I was talking to this woman she said you know I don't, think my, I don't think my son is ever going to see it that way. I don't think he's ever going to be able to, to, to come around. And I smiled at her and I said, you know, maybe we're the ones that need to come around and see them in the possibilities they don't see yet. Maybe it's about us helping to reframe the reality they're swimming in so that they can see it differently too. That's the challenge I think we all face when we're trying to be a part of this kingdom and fish for people. It's getting caught up in a way that other people can't help but be caught up as well. Van, do y'all want to come on out here? So this song, Love Throws a Line, is a great song. Many of us know it. What I want us to remind ourselves of, like me suddenly realizing I'm the oddball out and I have been seeing it all differently, the line that gets thrown to us, try to see that that line has always been there. And oftentimes, it's always waiting for us to see it within ourselves.